Please open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 6. It's going to be our text for the evening as Corey just read. And we will read again to um, solidify the text in our hearts. That's Ephesians chapter 6 beginning in verse 10. This is Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in change, that I might declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Have you ever encountered a problem where you questioned whether you were equipped to solve it? Or maybe have you ever found yourself um, doing a project that seemed simple at first, but then ended up being really complicated. For me, this is like every DIY project that Zara and I do. And from the people I talk with, there seems to be a universal pattern to DIY projects. Thank you. You see, it all starts when, if you're watching TV, you're looking online, and you see something that you want, and you're like, you know, I think I can do that. And so, you do a little bit of research and you conclude that oh, it's a little bit more complicated than what you actually saw, but it's within your power to do it. It's within your wheelhouse. Then the next step comes, and this is the harder step, that you have to convince somebody, and if you're married, this is usually your spouse, that you can do what you want to do and that they should be your, your team member, right? They should be your co-laborer in this task. And so after you've done this, you go to Home Depot and you're exuding confidence that you really don't have. And you're wandering around the store thinking you know, you know where to go and what you need, but you really don't. And you gather everything and you go back home and you know what you should do next. You should watch the YouTube video again or you should go read the instructions, but you're so excited and so motivated that you just skip those things because you've done it once and you, you've done enough DIY projects that you know you can do this. And so you start to make lines on a wall and you find exactly what you're going to do. You lay everything out and you start drilling and you hit a little bit of pressure and water starts to leak out of your wall. 
Um, I'm not saying this has necessarily happened to me, um, but what you thought was going to be a rather simple project became really complicated, and you realize that you're going to need some help. And this is the feel we get with our text this evening. In Ephesians chapter 1, you have this beautiful language of a very powerful God who's directing his power towards you, and he has indwelled you. And so you're very motivated. And then you get to Ephesians chapters 3 through 6, and these are the commands of God, the, the commands to be holy, to, be, um, to walk in humility, and to be gentle and kind-hearted. And because of your motivation from chapter 1, you think to yourself, you know what, I, I think I could do this. It's going to be complicated, but at the end, you know, I think I have the power to do it. But then you get to chapter 6, and in particular, you get to our section for the evening, and you start reading about warfare, and you start reading about armor and wrestling against angels, and what you realize is that we are way out of our league, and we're going to need some help. What we find in our text is that it may be more difficult to obey God than we actually realize. In fact, walking in obedience will be a profound struggle that goes beyond mere human obstacles. There are powerful spiritual beings that are strategizing and executing plans against the church and against our walk with God. And so because of this reality, because the battle is here now. I want to first go to God in prayer and ask for his help. So would you bow your heads with me? Father, we come to you for help. We need your strength, God. I need your strength. I am not prepared for this task at hand. And together, Lord, we confess our weakness to you. And we ask that you would strengthen us for this work. Jesus, we ask that you would help us to see your face now. May your perfect obedience be our perfect comfort. Holy Spirit, would you guide us in this war? And would you open our hearts and ears that we may hear from you now and in this church? And we ask this in the everlasting name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. There are three lessons in this text that are going to help us fight in the battle that we find ourselves in. And the first lesson I want to consider is this, that the battle for our obedience is a spiritual battle. The battle for our obedience is a spiritual battle. When we get to chapter 6 and we start reading about the armor of God, we often make the mistake of divorcing these 10 verses from the rest of Paul's letter. When in fact, this is really the climax of the entire letter. It's not a parenthetical aside or an irrelevant appendix. But it is the very means by which we obey God. Friends, it is not too much to say that our salvation is fought on celestial battlegrounds. The battle for obedience is not a struggle primarily of the human will, but it is a struggle that is suspended in the tension of good and evil. That is, we cannot reduce the battle for obedience to the weakness of our human frame. Rather, something much more profound is undergirding 
every decision we make. This is why he says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against spiritual rulers of this age. And so if you've ever wondered why you struggle in your obedience, why maybe you struggle with the same sins over and over, it might be because you're mistakenly fighting against the human will while ignoring the spiritual nature of our battles. Do you know that there is one enemy in this world that every military fears most? One enemy in this world that every single military in the world fears most. And it's the enemy they don't know they have. Secret spies or undercover agents, even traitors. And it's the same for us, church. You see, if Satan can convince us that there is not a war, that there really isn't an enemy, that the only thing wrong in this world are our own selfish hearts and the selfish hearts of others, then he's won. If he can convince us that there is not a war to be fought, that there really isn't an enemy to the church, then he's won. This is a brilliant strategy. And if we continue to ignore the spiritual nature of our battles, we will have the same fate as many others. But Jesus knew better than this. And this is all over the Gospels and in his sayings. For example, consider his words, my kingdom is not of this world, but if it were, my servants would have been fighting. Or even Luke 22, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you, that he may sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. So Paul wants us to know that the battle for the obedience of the faith is a spiritual battle. And so he says to be strong in the Lord. Now, this is in the passive voice. It is to be made strong. We need to be strengthened by God because there are rulers. There are authorities and cosmic powers. And here he's highlighting the sophistication and the overall numerical strength of our enemy. They are a united military. Therefore, church, we need the armor of God. We need armor to withstand and armor to stand our ground. So if it's true that our battle is spiritual, what can we do about it? And here I want us to entertain just three brief ways that we can apply this text to our lives. And the first way is this. A spiritual battle requires spiritual strength. It will not do I'm sorry, the strength to stand against evil cannot be found in us, but it must be found in God. And second, we need to take up the whole armor of God. Because it won't do just to have a sword, but not a shield. Our enemy is comprehensive, and so too our armor must be. And finally, we must remind ourselves that Satan uses our sins to multiply our sorrows. The more we are obedient in our walk with God, the less Satan has to work with, the less he has to tempt us and entice us with. So we have seen that we're at a spiritual battle for the obedience of the faith. Now I want to consider a, another dimension to this war. And it's this, that the battle for our obedience is a battle for dependence. The battle for our obedience is a battle 
of dependence. In my military career, um, one of the first things I was taught was to learn to trust my gear, to learn to trust my equipment. And, and Corey can attest to this fact because he's a, a fellow uh, brother in arms. If I didn't learn to trust that my vest could stop a bullet or that maybe my repelling gear could not hold my weight or that my weapon would not jam when I needed it most, then I would be pessimistic at best in war. And as Christians, we have spiritual armor. And to the degree that we trust it is the degree that we, are be, we will be able to withstand an attack from the enemy. You see, in verses 14 through 17, there are seven ways that we are given to be able to stand against the enemy. Five of them are pieces of armor. One is a weapon, and another is an exhortation to pray. But instead of talking about each piece of armor individually, I want to talk about it as a set. Why do we need this armor, and what is its purpose? You see, there's an implicit assumption in our text that in and of ourselves, we are powerless in this battle. There is really no hint that we are in any way, shape, or form prepared for what is at hand. In fact, the very need for this equipment reveals our complete and utter inadequacy. We are found naked, defenseless, and exposed. And by magnifying our powerlessness, Paul is magnifying our need for dependence. You see, church, there is no room for natural courage in this war. For courage that does not come from God is not courage at all. But it's pride. It's self-reliance. It's sin. Therefore, any degree of self-reliance, any degree of a, I got this kind of attitude really turns out to be a demonstration of weakness. In the war that we find ourselves in, we must renounce natural courage and seek the spiritual courage by placing our faith in God. All strength, all might must come from God and anything less than this is a foothold for Satan. Therefore, this battle this battle is a battle for our dependence upon God. And friends, if we want to be strong, we must become comfortable in our weakness. If we want to stand in this battle, we must first sit in the seat of humility. There's an Old Testament background to this text that many people, when we preach Ephesians, they kind of ignore the Isaiah background. Um, but Paul, in many places in Ephesians, he is quoting and paraphrasing Isaiah. And in particular here, he's drawing on the armor of God that Isaiah talks about. And this armor of God also belongs to the Messiah in Isaiah. And in particular, we can look, at, for example, at chapter 11, verse 5. And it, here it says that the Messiah, his righteousness will be a belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. And here, Paul is showing us that the many virtues that characterize the life and the work of the Messiah will now characterize the life and work of the Messiah's people. In other words, church, the armor of God is Christ 
himself. And this really shouldn't surprise us because every piece of armor that we see, the belt of truth, the helmet of salvation, those are all attributed to Christ. We see throughout the New Testament that he's our truth, that he's our righteousness. He is the good news that we proclaim. He is our peace. He is the object of our faith. He is our salvation and church. He is the word of God made flesh. Paul is bidding us to put on Christ. And until we do, we will be unarmed. But how do we put on Christ? We've talked about why we need it. We've talked about its purpose. But how do we put him on? Is there possibly a spiritual kiosk near Chick-fil-A where I get my gospel shoes and my faith shield? Um, I don't think so, but if, if there is, please let me know because I've completely missed it. Um, but the, the way we pick up the armor of God and the way we put on Christ is by cultivating Christ in our hearts. Cultivating Christ in our hearts. Remembering that our greatest blessing begins with Christ and it ends with Christ. We do this by meditating on the truths of our faith. By learning to live out the righteousness that we've received from Christ. Being prepared to share the good news that there is peace with the Father through the Son. We cultivate Christ in our hearts by stirring up our faith, by abiding in the Word of God, committing it to memory, hearing it preached again and again, and letting it wash over our souls like waves of the ocean. If we do not abide in Christ, we are a dying church. If we are not abiding, we will witness our brothers and sisters fall and to temptation. Therefore, let us bring our small faith before a mighty king and experience a mighty savior in our everyday battles. Let us give over our trembling hands and feeble knees over to the power of God. And let us remember in the words of Thomas Watson that a weak faith can lay hold to a strong Christ. So far we know that Christian obedience is a spiritual fight. And we know we must depend on God. But there's one more dimension to our battle that Paul wants us to know. And it's that our battle for obedience is a battle of perseverance. Our battle for obedience is a battle for perseverance. We can broadly define perseverance as a, a constant pursuit of something in the midst of opposition. And here we're called to persist in prayer because we have a persistent enemy. It is interesting that Paul gives prayer greater prominence than any other single piece of armor. Because this is not just prayer. This is prayer that is constant. Prayer that is in the spirit. It is prayer that is supplication or begging. It is prayers that offer not just for ourselves, but for the entire church. You see, prayer is not just an additional weapon that we take up, but it's the way that Christians deploy all the armor and weaponry of God. Prayer is the means by which we keep our weaponry effective. 
Therefore, it should be the natural disposition of our hearts to pray to our Father. It should be the posture and frame of our hearts. We need to abide in the duty of prayer regardless of outward pressures and outward circumstances. Prayer shows God that we are relying on Him and not ourselves. But too many times, we don't pray as we ought. And here, I'm a student in the same seat. Even as I preach about prayer, I'm reminded of my lack of prayer even before this sermon, before preparing here. And so I am, I'm with you guys when I talk about this. And I need prayer. We all need prayer. And we need to abide in it. And there are many Christians that love to talk about the armor of God. There are thousands of commentaries about the armor of God. But show me a Christian that likes to talk to God. And we'll talk. If we've learned anything tonight, it is that we are in desperate need of the work of God in our lives. And a praying Christian is a persevering Christian. When we cease to pray, we cease to live. And in our battle for obedience, God often only puts one condition on the table. He makes one request of us, and it's this. Ask of me. Knock on my door. Seek my counsel. We will not endure in this fight if we think we're in this battle alone. We must go to God in prayer, for He is our strength. But we're not encouraged only to go to God in prayer, but we're encouraged to go to each other. I remember over a decade ago in basic training, we would just be um, training in, in combat scenarios, and they would always tell us, don't be a hero. Don't be a hero. You see, in combat, the military discourages the practice of heroism. Because the practice of being a hero is an individual sport. It, it compromises teamwork. And when one, when one person ceases to carry out their particular function on a team, everybody suffers. And it's the same with us, church. We are one in Christ. And Paul instructs us to pray for all the saints because we are all in Christ's army. Together we have enemies to fight against. Together we have a captain to fight for. And together we have a banner to fight under. Christ died for the church and his body rises and falls together. So we're not only called to persevere through prayer to God, but by depending on one another, asking each other to pray for us. How are we doing with that? Are we praying for each other? How often do we lift up our pastors, Corey and Johnny? Or what about church leaders that you know they would preach the gospel of right, that they would be protected from the spiritual war, that their families would be kept strong and unified. You see, in the household of God, there is no begging before a good father. He's delighted to answer our prayers, to advance the kingdom, to advance the gospel. Therefore, church, our battle cry is directed heavenward, and our call to arms is really a call to our father.
In this very short letter, Paul has already given two lengthy prayers that the church would be strengthened. And even Paul, the great apostle of Christ, the great evangelist, recognizes his own dependence upon the church's prayers for him. He's about to go before Nero. He must preach an uncompromised gospel. And intimidation is creeping into his heart. And he needs the prayers of his brothers and sisters. What a great sign of dependence upon God do we see. A great dependence upon the people of God as well. Let us follow in Paul's example to depend on God and depend on the people of God. Now, I want us to conclude by summarizing the book of Ephesians and kind of summarizing these three points that we've talked about tonight. If we fail to realize the spiritual nature of our warfare, if we fail at depending upon God, we lose all things that characterize us as Christians. You see, the goal of the armor and prayer is not merely to stand against evil. If all we have from Paul is an exhortation for the sole reason of defense, then we are still at a loss. What does being able to withstand accomplish? If I succeed in standing, what was it for? What is my reward? You see, the goal of the armor and prayer is not merely to stand, but it's to live. And in standing, the whole prayer of the book of Ephesians is fulfilled in our lives. And the book of Ephesians has already shown us what we gain when we put on the armor of God. And, and here's a, a compilation of all the blessings we have throughout all six chapters of Ephesians. We see that when we arm ourselves and pray, we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Our adoption, our redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our sins, the guarantee of our inheritance is ours. Through our dependence on God, we will walk in a manner worthy, worthy of our calling. We will walk in humility with gentleness and patience. We will bear with one another in love. We will be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. When we pray, the church is one, just like the Lord is one. And we'll speak truth and grow up in every way into the head that is Christ. We will no longer walk in the ignorance and hardness of our hearts because we have learned Christ through prayer. In prayer, we put on the new self, renewed in the spirit of our minds, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We would be good imitators of God and walk in holy submission. According to the riches of God, we would be strengthened with power through His Spirit. Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. We would be rooted and grounded in love. We would have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, what is the length and height and depth. And we would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And we would be filled with all the fullness of the triune God. This is the prayer of the book of Ephesians. And through the armor of God and through prayer, it is all ours in abounding measure. Therefore, church, be strong in the Lord. Would you bow your heads with me?